Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 201 of the GDPR Weekly Show, and we hope that you enjoyed our exclusive interview with the UK's number one motivational business speaker, Brad Burton, in episode 200. So in this midweek episode, to bring you up to speed with news in the world of GDPR, we have news that the UK government has issued more details about this data reform bill. We then travel to South Africa, where shop mice is at a data breach, and then to the USA, where iCare leaders ransomware attackers had implications right across the whole of the USA. We then travel to Seymour in Indiana, where Snack is facing a lawsuit after a data breach. We have news that TikTok is moving US user data to Oracle to allay privacy concerns. We then travel to Washington, where Kaiser Permanente has had a data breach. And then to Canada, where Desjardins has been ordered to pay $200 million after a data breach, which we reported widely here in previous episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. And then finally this week, we travel to Lake Charles in Louisiana, where the Sheriff's Office has been affected by a data breach. So as always, a wide range of articles for you this week. We hope you find the information in the articles useful and informative. Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR Made Simple. Available now on Amazon. As we previously announced on GDPR Weekly Show, the UK government has started progress on its data reform bill. And this week, the UK government released its first full details of what it expects to be in the bill. The government says that the data reform bill will scrap what the government decrees as red tape and pointless paperwork while lowering the barrier for personal data to be used in scientific research. As part of the package, the Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, will also be restructured. In a statement, DCMS Secretary Nadine Doris said, Today is an important step in cementing post-Brexit Britain's position as a science and tech superpower. Our new data reform bill will make it easier for businesses and researchers to unlock the power of data, to grow the economy and improve society, but retains our global gold standard for data protection. Outside of the EU, we can ensure people can control their personal data while preventing businesses and researchers and civil society from being held back by a lack of clarity and cumbersome EU legislation. To do a bit of background, the UK government has long argued that lack of clarity in GDPR meant seeking consent for individuals turned into a box-ticking exercise, with the current regime putting a disproportionate burden on small businesses. Now, our view is that's a bit of a misguided view of GDPR because, as you know, there are six reasons why you can hold GDPR and consent is only one of them. So, perhaps in saying what she has, Nadine Dovis has shown a little bit of ignorance of the details of GDPR and perhaps needs a better briefing by civil servants. The government has hinted that the data reform bill would ditch the need for organisations to seek its consent before processing the data on every occasion, although it hasn't outlined what this will look like in practice. It says, however, the new data protection will be focused on outcomes rather than going by the letter of the law. One thing it is going to change is that some businesses won't need to appoint a data protection officer, a DPO, and they won't need to conduct data protection impact assessment, DPIA, when developing new tools or services, although we've had a look at the draft details issued by the government, and really it's just a change of names. You've still got to appoint someone in the organisation to be responsible for data. They just don't have to be called a data protection officer anymore. And perhaps significantly, they can be someone with a shareholding in the business allowed under current rules. And the same with data protection impact assessment. You don't need to carry out a data protection impact assessment, but you do need to assess the risk to data. Hmm, work that one out. The example the DCMS uses is that of an independent pharmacist no longer needing to recruit a dedicated data protection officer, provided they can effectively manage risk themselves. 
organization is over, we still need to have a privacy management program in place to ensure they're accountable for how they process personal data. The government claims that scrapping these administrative elements of GDPR will save businesses approximately £1 billion. Turning now to the other part of the proposal, the retooling of the ICO. Under the proposals, the UK data regulator will be reorganised over chair, chief and a board in order to introduce a wider set of skills to support decision making. The government also wants to broaden the responsibilities underpinning the ICO's work with everything coming to the shoulders of the Commissioner. The newly appointed Information Commissioner, John Edwards, said, I share and support the ambition of these reforms. I am pleased to see the government has taken our concerns about independence on board. Data protection law needs to give people confidence to share their information to use the products and services that power our economy and society. The proposed changes will ensure my office to continue to operate as a trusted, fair and impartial regulator and enable us to be more flexible and target our action in response to the greatest harms. The ICO will also be given new, clearer objectives to be set out in legislation, which will give the regulator more focus. They will also require the regulator to the factors like economic growth, innovation and competition when making judgments, rather than just going by the letter of the law. Political oversight will also be added to the way the ICO develops statutory codes, which it routinely publishes to outline best practice for organisations in different ways. Example being the age-appropriate design code, the Children's Code, which was released in September last year. The Secretary of State must personally improve each piece of statutory guidance in future before they present to Parliament. Now, one of the most significant elements of the package is the watering down the legal requirements and companies to process personal data for research purposes. The Data Reform Bill will more clearly define the scope of scientific research and will give scientists clarity about when they can and when they need to obtain user consent to collect or use data for broad research purposes. Under the current regime, users need to give their explicit consent for data to be processed for a specified reason. The data collected cannot be used without requiring consent if the purpose of the research changes. Now, researchers only need to specify the use of data in physical cancer research generally, as opposed to a particular cancer study. The UK government has long considered abolishing GDPR and replacing it with a new set of data protection laws that are more flexible and reduce the administrative and legal burden placed on businesses. Last June, the Prime Minister Boris Johnson welcomed an agenda that included scrapping consent altogether and removing human overhead from artificial intelligence tools and systems. DCMS announced a consultation on a set of less extreme proposals in September last year, which has culminated in the panel released. John Edwards, the new Information Commissioner, previously warned ministers against scrapping the safeguards GDPR given to data subjects. That the data reform bill has won his backing suggests he's satisfied the new regime with protection. Of course, one question which remains unanswered is the whole issue of data adequacy. There is a very real danger that if too many changes are made to UK GDPR, then the EU will simply decide that our regime is adequate. The effect on that on business, especially given that we're heading into a period of high interest rates and some even forecast recession, really is a burden on business which I would say far outweighs the £1 billion the government allegedly says can be saved by major changes. But it is early days. We will have a look at these changes in more depth as we move through the next few episodes of the show. And of course, we will watch the progress of this bill through Parliament with interest and bring any important updates to you right here on the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To South Africa now, and ShopRite Group announced last week that it had a suspected data compromise affecting some money transfer customers. However, privacy and technology legal expert Josh Floor says this is just a data breach by another name. It's understood that the data compromise affected a subset of customers who performed money transfers to and within Eswatini and within Namibia and Zambia. 
ShopRite says an unauthorized party access to the data. However, it's unclear whether that person downloaded the data or what their intentions might be. In a statement, ShopRite said, in a statement, ShopRite said, affected customers will receive an SMS to the sound number supplied at the time of the transaction. An investigation was immediately launched with forensic experts and other data security professionals to establish the origin, nature and scope of the incident. ShopRite said it implemented additional security measures to protect against further data loss by changing authentication processes and fraud prevention and detection strategies to protect customer data. Access to affected areas of the network has also been locked down, the company said. The data compromised include names and ID numbers, but no financial information or bank account number. ShopMite said it had notified the information regulator. Investigation is ongoing. The group is not aware of any misuse or publication of customer data that may have been acquired over web monitoring relating to the incident continues. The Protection of Personal Information Act, the Poppy Act, requires ShopMite to publish a notice announcing a breach. Failing to do so could draw a harsher response from the authorities. The information regulator is yet to make a comment, but if someone lodges a complaint about the incident, then the information regulator is obliged to start the investigation process. One possible outcome could be that the regulator issues ShopMite with an enforcement notice to rectify any shortcomings. If they don't comply with the enforcement notice, the company could be fined up to 10 million rand. The combination of names and ID numbers is significant. These two data fields are often used in multi-factor identification and provide ideal starting point for hackers. Another issue with South African ID numbers is they reveal a lot of personal information about you. The South African ID number is a 13-digit number which is defined by the following format YYMMDDSSSSCAZ. The first six digits, YYMMDD, are based on your date of birth. For example, 20 shows of January 88 becomes 880123. The next four digits, SSSS, are used to define your gender with only the first digit of the sequence of any relevance. Three males have a number of 0 to 4, while males are 5 to 9. The next digit is 0 if you are a South African citizen and 1 if you are a permanent resident. The next digit was used in the late 1980s to indicate a person's race. This has been eliminated and the old ID numbers were reissued to remove this number. And the last digit, Z, is a checksum digit used to check the number sequence is accurate using the LUN algorithm. If we receive any update on this from ShopMite or from the information regulator, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. <laughs> to America now, and a ransomware attack on iCare leaders dating all the way back to December 2021 is continuing to have an effect on millions of people right across the USA iCare Leaders is a cloud-based, ophthalmology-specific electronic health record and practice management vendor based in North Carolina. Added to the Department of Health and Human Services breach reporting tool on Wednesday night, the massive Texas Tech University Healthcare Sciences Center tally makes it the hardest-hit provider by the breach. A total of 58,642 precision eye care patients and 23,993 Harkins eye clinic patients into the tally on Wednesday as well. The Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center notice shows the ECL incident compromised a range of patient data including names, driver's license numbers, emails, genders, dates of birth, medical record numbers, health insurance details, appointment information, social security numbers and medical data tied to services received at the ophthalmology center. Over the last few weeks, covered entities have released breach notices detailing the ECL data security incident. An attacker accessed the platform and its data tied to a range of healthcare clients. During the dwell time, the actor deleted databases and configuration files. Upon discovering the hack, ECL shut down the platform and launched an investigation which could not conclusively rule out access to patient health data. So far, at least 20 covered entities have issued notices tied to the ECL ransomware attack, 
including Evergreen Health, 20,533 people, Allied Eye Physicians and Surgeons, 20,651, Summit Eye Associates, 53,018, Affiliated Eye Surgeons, 23,400, Northern Eye Care Associates, 8,000, Regional Eye Associates Incorporated and Surgical Eye Centre of Morgantown, 194,035, Frank Eye Centre, 26,333, Ad Astra Eye, 3,684, Moise Centre, 38,000, Finkelstein Eye Associates, 48,587, Sylvester Eye, 10, 19,377, Shoreline Eye Group, 57,047, AU House, 50,631, Associated Ophthalmologists of Kansas City, 13,461, Fishman Vision, 2,646, Berman and Zuckerberg Ophthalmology Associates, 1,337, McCoy Vision Center, 33,930, Texas Tech University Health Services Center, 1.29 million, Precision Eye Care, 58,462, Harkins Eye Clinic, 23,993. A total of 1,987,925 patients have now been included in the breach data, putting the ECL incident on pace to become the largest healthcare data breach in 2022. The singular incident is bad enough on its own, but combined with the allegations in the provider-led lawsuit, the vendor has added a tumultuous year of security issues. Although ECL has not confirmed or denied the allegations, several providers have accused ECL of conceding multiple ransomware attacks and prolonged periods of EMR downtime throughout the year that were not tied to the December incident. We've approached ECL for a statement, but at the time of doing the broadcast, no news from them has been received. If we do receive a statement from ECL, we will just bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR We Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. Remaining in the USA and traveling to Seymour in Indiana now, where Snack Medical Center faces a class action lawsuit related to a data breach that occurred on September 21. The lawsuit was filed on behalf of Yarlan Nearman and all others who may have been affected by the data breach, which he contends the Seymour Hospital deliberately underplayed its severity and misrepresented there was no evidence cybercriminals misused the stolen information, even though Snack knew the cybercriminals infiltrated its systems for months without detection. The lawsuit was filed on behalf of the Columbus man on Monday in Jackson Superior Court in Brownstown by the Indianapolis law firm of Cohen and Mullard, LLP, and the Madison Wisconsin law firm of Turk and Strauss, LLP. Snack officials issued a statement saying Snack Medical Center has no evidence that any of the information was or will be misused, however, out of an abundance of caution, notified individuals whose information was included in the limited number of files involved in the incident. Notified individuals have been provided with credit monitoring services where applicable and best practices to protect their information. As a team of dedicated and caring medical professionals, we understand that healthcare is about care of people, and Snack is committed to its patients their treatment and their families, as well as protecting the privacy and security of their personal information. The lawsuit contends that Snack has lost control of at least 92,000 of its former and current patients, highly sensitive personal and medical information to cyber criminals, and then failed to adequately notify victims of the breach. The stolen personal health information includes at least patients' names, contact information, addresses, dates of birth, financial account and or credit card information, medical records and diagnosis, driver's license and social security numbers. The 16-page lawsuit also contains that cybercriminals were able to breach SNET systems because the hospital did not maintain reasonable security safeguards or protocols to protect its patients' personal health information, leaving it an unguarded target for theft and misuse. 
It further contends that SNAP's failure to timely detect and notify breach victims violates Indiana law and has made its patients vulnerable to identity theft without any warnings to the financial accounts or credit reports to prevent unauthorised use of their public information. Because of the data breach, SNAC also failed to adhere to the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act of 1996, also known as HIPAA, according to talk, according to court documents. The lawsuit, which seeks damages to be determined, asked the judge to direct SNAC to adequately safeguard the personal health information of the plaintiff by implementing improved city procedures and measures and provide notice to each member of the class relating to full nature and extent of the data breach and disclosure of protected health information to unauthorised persons. On or about May the 17th, SNAC started notifying breach victims that hackers had gained unauthorised access to patients' confidential personal identifying information and or protected health information. Nearman is a current patient at SNAC and as part of making payment and medical treatment and services, those payments included amounts for data security. The lawsuit contained you will have to spend considerable time and effort over the coming years monitoring his accounts to protect him from identity theft. Wished it was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR made simple. Available now on Amazon. To China now, and Chinese firm ByteDance, which owns TikTok, has pacified US users' data safety concerns by declaring Oracle its exclusive storage partner. In a video snippet, TikTok chief Roland Tseltier did acknowledge that it gave data access to some engineers as per industry practice, but vouched to change all that in the future. It emphasised that no data was shared with Chinese government officials. Our goal is to minimise data access across the region so that, for example, employees in the Asia-Pacific region, including China, would have very minimal access to user data from the EU and the US, he said. We brought in a world-class internal and external security experts to help us strengthen our data security effort. TikTok has promised to use data centres in Singapore and Virginia to back up information while employing Oracle cloud infrastructure for all of its US users. Furthermore, it also states that it's working in tandem with Oracle to develop data management protocols to counter any threats of a data breach. The company hopes that these steps shall once and for all allay any unfounded fears and pacify concerns in this area. The issue started in the backdrop of former US President Donald Trump's ban on Chinese apps like WeChat and TikTok from the US market amid growing national security concerns. WeChat is a part of Chinese tech giant Tencent and is used for social networking, messaging, e-commerce and more. We know we are among the most scrutinised platforms from a security standpoint and we aim to remove any doubt about the security of US user data, said Albert Kalamuk, who handles US security public policy at TikTok. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To Washington in the USA now and Kaiser Permanente, one of America's leading not-for-profit health plans and healthcare providers, has recently disclosed a data breach that exposed the health information from 69,000 individuals. Founded in 1945, Kaiser Permanente provides healthcare services to over 12.5 million members from eight US states and Washington DC. The company revealed in a notice published on its website that an attacker accessed an employee's email account and patients protected health information on April 5th, 2022 without authorization. This notice describes a security incident that may have impacted the protected health information of Kaiser Permanente patients who may have been affected by an unauthorised access incident on April 5th, 2022, the healthcare provider said. Specifics of the unauthorised access were provided to individuals affected in a letter sent by Kaiser Permanente on June 3rd, 2022. 
Sensitive info exposing an attack includes the patient's first and last names, medical record numbers, dates of service and laboratory test result information. The organisation says no social security numbers or credit card numbers were exposed during the breach. The security incident only affected the Kaiser Foundation Health Plan of Washington patient. Kaiser Permanent terminated the attacker's access to the email account within hours and began investigating the incident to assess its impact. After discovering the event, we quickly took steps to terminate the unauthorised party's access to the employee's emails. The company said this included resetting the employee's password for the email account where unauthorised activity was detected. The employee received additional training on safe email practices and we're exploring other steps we can take to ensure incidents like this do not happen in the future. The healthcare provider said it had not found evidence that the personal health information stored on the hacked email account was stolen or misused after the incident, but couldn't completely rule out the possibility. While Kaiser Permanente did not reveal the exact number of affected patients in the breach notice, information filed with the US Department of Health and Human Services Office of Civil Rights shows that the incident has led to 69,589 individuals potentially having their personal health exposed. If you're a regular listener to GDPR Weekly Show, then you will have heard us mention in episodes 80, 123, 175 and 182 about the Desjardins data breach in Canada. Well, this week, the Quebec court has approved a $200.9 million settlement against Desjardins over the data breach. The Superior Court of Quebec has approved a nearly $200.9 million settlement of a class action lawsuit against Desjardins, the largest to date in the Canadian financial services sector. Sistin Medimil and Kodla Tandestin, the, the lawyers for the class members, say everyone affected by the breach, regardless of where they live, will be eligible to claim. Class members may seek compensation for loss of time that is related to the personal information breach as well as for identity theft. In addition, class members who have not already registered for Equifax's credit monitoring service will be able to do so for five years at Desjardins' cost and maintain the other protective measures implemented by Desjardins following the breach for at least the next five years. The Federal Privacy Commissioner said in 2020 that a series of technological and administrative gaps caused the high-profile data breach of the financial cooperative, which he said did not demonstrate the level of attention needed to protect the sensitive personal information entrusted to its care. The incident compromised the data of 4.2 million people who had active accounts, Desjardins said. Class members do not have to take any steps at this stage. Notices containing instructions for making claims will be distributed over several months in around July 21st. For at least 26 months, a road employee was siphoning sensitive personal information collected by Desjardins from customers who had purchased or received products through the organisation. Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR Made Simple. Available now on Amazon. To Lake Charles in Louisiana now, and the Sheriff's Office said in a statement, CPSO was notified by Iberia Bank that its third-party lockbox service provider, Technology Management Resources Incorporated, may have had a security breach. The breach does not involve CPSO's database or computer systems. The Sheriff's Office said it's working with First Horizon to provide the contact information needed to make notification to affected taxpayers. Those individual taxpayers do their personal banking at various banks, so across the area we are seeing customers having to close and reopen accounts to make sure they're protected. Some of those affected use First Federal Bank in Lake Charles, which told Seven News that it is helping its customers secure their information. In the statement, First Federal Bank said First Federal Bank is fully aware of the external data breach affecting checking accounts of multiple financials in our area, and this breach is no fault of any of the affected financial institutions, including First Federal Bank. When this breach of data was discovered, steps were taken to minimise the effect of the breach and protect our customers. 
We have actively identifying all compromised accounts and working with customers as quickly as we can to close the affected accounts and securely reopen new ones. We thank all of our customers for their patience during this stressful time. Law enforcement is actively investigating this incident. In a statement, the Sheriff's Office said, The Chautasio Parish Sheriff's Office did not experience a potential hack or data breach information pertaining to any of our databases. The Sheriff's Office is a tax collector for property taxes paid in Chautasio Parish. A banking institution deposits the property tax payments collected by the Sheriff's Office. The banking institution has notified the Sheriff's Office that a third party used by them suffered a likely data breach of the third party's database. As a result of the likely breach, those who paid their taxes by cheque may be a victim and their checking information may have been exposed. Again, the Sheriff's Office did not experience any breach of our databases. The banking institution and or its third party contractor who owned and maintained the breach database is the responsible party for notifying those individuals who have possibly been a victim of the breach. If we receive any further update from First Horizon Bank, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com We hope that you've enjoyed this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show and that you found the information useful and informative. We do really appreciate your feedback, so please do email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com with any comments you might have about the articles we've raised this week, or indeed any suggestions you might have for improvements to the show. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurance production. Please be advised that any advice given during the show is general in nature and should not be taken as specific legal advice. You should always seek legal advice according to your own specific circumstances. Until next time, bye-bye.